Hey, this is David Merrill, pastor of the Well Church. I would like to first thank you for downloading the app and listening to what God is doing through the life and ministry of the Well Church. I would also ask that before you listen to this message, that you would pray that God not only continues to transform lives through this ministry, but also that as you hear the Word of God proclaimed, pray that the Holy Spirit would convict you in areas that your life has not been given over to God, empower you to repent and turn, but also embolden you to be doers of the word and not simply hearers, in order that you become a light in your homes, in your schools, in your workplaces, and even in your local church body. Let us be radically in love with Jesus and radically in love with his people. Once again, I just thank you for listening and may God bless you abundantly. We're going to be going through the book of Ephesians. And, and let me tell you something. I'm so blown away by the book of Ephesians. And it's going to be a series. It's going to be a long, but as I was reading the, the book of Ephesians, I was reminded of, of my dad, actually. My dad, he passed away about seven years ago. And when he, when he passed away, he left me a bunch of tools, a lot of tools. And so like he, he had his own business, his own, actually the sign shop right next door. He owned that business. And now my brother-in-law, he owns that business. So it's cool how it kind of stuck in the family. But he owned that business. So he had all these extra tools that I inherited. And he didn't tell me how to use any of them or what they were for, but they were, all, they were cool. So I got all these tools and I brought them in my basement and I set them up. I have this pegboard. It's nice and pretty. You know, I feel like, like I'm a 70-year-old man with all these nice tools that hanging up everywhere. It's really organized, um, which is not me in my life. But I'm like, I want my tools to look pretty. No clue what they do, but they're pretty. And, and so my, I never learned. So I did a little bit of construction. I know what a saw does and a hammer does and a drill. Okay, so those are like my three tools that I knew. And so any construction, any project I ever did, I tried to do it with those three. Like if I needed a hole cut, I didn't have, know what those big rotary, so I had a hammer, okay, you know, and, and so, or a flathead screwdriver with a hammer. You just chisel it out um, to make a hole. So I had all these, that's the only tools I knew. But then now as I'm getting older and I'm starting to do more of it, I love it. I love construction. I love carpentry work. I do a lot of it uh, from my past time, like kind of my, my hobby. I'm starting to realize as I'm looking at all these tools, wow, this is actually has a purpose. Like, this is not just a paperweight. There's actually a purpose for this tool. It had like a, there's one, like, you know, for plumbing that had like a stick and then a little circle on it. No clue what it was. I, I used it to beat things. I used it as a hammer. But turns out it was actually for plumbing. And so I'm learning that I have a lot more than I thought I did. And, as I, and that's really, that's what came to my mind as I was reading Ephesians this week. Because the truth is, is what we're going to see is that as believers, we have such an inheritance from the Father, but most Christians do not know what they have and what's in their toolbox. Most Christians do not understand what we actually have in Christ, in the Holy Spirit. And the whole book of Hebrews is showing, or Hebrews, I'm going to get, get, get out of that Hebrews mentality, of Ephesians is to show us the riches, that we are so wealthy beyond belief in Christ. This is ours. So there's six chapters in Ephesians, six chapters. We're going to break it up into three sections. Now, it doesn't mean we're going to have three sermons. Um, there's a lot more. We only got through three verses this morning, so you just can imagine. Um, we'll be there for a while, but it's going to be broken up into three sections. The first section is all about the inheritance that we as children have. 
Remember in, 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 in Hebrews, when we studied Hebrews, this time I meant to say Hebrews. Uh, when we studied Hebrews, we studied about the inheritance, that we inherited the, 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 the stuff that God has left us in his will, right? We talked about in the Old Testament, the testator wrote the will. Remember, the testator has to die, just as any will. Like if I, like right now, um, let's just say, okay, in my will, the only thing I have in my will is my kids, and that's given to the seniors. You know, so pray for them. But that... My kid, that will, them being my, the godparents of my children and taking care of my children, that means nothing until I'm dead, right? I mean, they, they're nice and they're cool. I mean, Eliska takes care of my kids more than I do, but, um, but that means nothing as far as them having to take that ownership. It's not their possession. Until I'm gone, that's when that inheritance takes place. That's when that, so that's what the Bible talks about. When God wrote the promises, he said, I write this will as a testator. It means nothing to my children until I am dead. And so what Hebrews said was that when Jesus dies on the cross, the will is enacted. Right? Because the, the author of the will, the testator, the God himself, dies on a cross, and we now have the inheritance that was ours. What an amazing truth. So we're going to be talking about the inheritance. Now, 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 bear with me. Stay with me, because the first three chapters, one through three, is going to be the inheritance. This is going to be doctrine. Okay? A lot of doctrine, a lot of meat. So I'm not going to be like hitting golf balls at you and throwing darts at you and, and eating your Reese's and doing all that stuff. Okay, it's going to be a lot of doctrine. If you're new here, I, I tend to do things like that. Um, but we're not doing it through this section. This is going to be a lot of deep, rich doctrine. And we've got to understand this. So bear with me, stay with us, because if you understand the doctrine, then we move into the next section, chapter 4 through chapter 6, verse 9, which is the walk in Christ. So, so it's going to lead to principle leading to practice, doctrine leading to application. How do we walk in Christ? How do we live? We're going to learn how to live in unity, how to live in purity, how to live in harmony, how to live in victory. And then finally, we're going to get to the last section, which is chapter 6, verse 10 on, which is warfare. Okay? So listen, hear me. This is how it always has to go, and this is how it always will be. Correct doctrine will lead to correct living, and correct living will lead to spiritual warfare. You hear me? A lot of times we skip the correct doctrine part and even the correct living part and we say, Satan's really going after me. I'm, I'm fighting this spiritual warfare. Satan's really going after me. Are you sure? Like, man, my wife is leaving me. Satan's really attacking me. And I don't know. I think it's because you're dumb and you cheated on her. I think it's because you're walking in sin. Oh, my, 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 I'm, I'm, I gotta go to prison. Satan's really working on me. I think it's because he killed the dude. I don't know. Maybe it's just me. Well, see, guys, well, you understand that always, this is how it always has to happen. Correct doctrine, understanding who Jesus is, understanding who we are and what we have, that will lead to correct living and living for the kingdom and be walking in the power and authority and the victory of Christ. And when you are a, when you are a threat in the kingdom of God, then Satan has to go after you. See, some of us, Satan's like, I don't need to. Netflix is doing that for me. Right? Instagram is doing that for me. I don't need to attack them. They're, 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 they're preoccupied with looking at themselves. Like, hey, look at me. You know? Why do I need to go after them? But correct doctrine will always leave. So, so that's the Ephesians broke up. Three sections. It's going to be a while. We're doing three verses this morning. But listen, I want to, I want to, I want to say this. Um, if we understand this book, 
and we receive this book in our spirits, in our mind, not just understand it here, but receive all the riches of this book, I promise you this church will be different at the end of it. I promise that your life will be different at the end of it. If we understand the riches of a Hebrew, my prayer is for us to understand and to, to, to mature in the depths and the riches of the book of Hebrews. I mean, and let me just say this. This is going to be a... Go ahead, what did I say? Hebrews. Ephesians. Ephesians. You guys are listening. That's a good thing. Um, Ephesians, Ephesians, Ephesians. Ephesians. The Bible. Paul. I get to say Paul this time. I said Paul all throughout the book of Hebrews. And we don't know if Paul's actually the author, but now I get to actually say Paul because he wrote Ephesians. Um, Let me just say this, though. Yeah, I feel like I need to say this, okay? This is what God's been putting on my heart. And he put this on my heart before he put the book of Ephesians on my heart. And Ephesians, really, it's all been choreographed how God has been operating. I I have been praying and praying and praying, and, and my heart has been broken for the church I think God is doing something right now. He's doing something in my own life. I know he is. He's speaking and he's moving. He's giving me dreams and visions. He's, he's teaching me a lot of new stuff. He's revamping. He's re-encouraging uh, areas in my life and my ministry. But one of the things that I, I'm, I'm really heartbroken over is the state of the church in America. And I think God is speaking and God is shaking and trying to wake up the church. You see, I think one of the greatest gifts that God has given us this past, in this past season has been the coronavirus. I really do, and here's why. Because before the coronavirus, we as a church, as American church, we were numb. We were sleeping. We were sleeping. And a lot of times, and a lot of what we were doing was not even the church. We were just playing church. We were playing Christianity. We were doing a lot of things that if you looked at the Bible and looked at what we were doing, uh, Francis Chan once described it as, uh, you know, it's like walking into a stadium and seeing a bunch of people taking hamsters and throwing them at each other. And you're like, what are they doing? Like, we're, we're playing soccer. <laughs> and that's what we do. It's like, man, if you read the Bible and I put you in a, in a, in a, in a, and just off to yourself, by yourself, and just with the Bible, and you only read the Bible, and then you walked into what we do on a Sunday morning, and you're saying, what are you doing? We're playing church. We're doing church. What church? Where, where you at? And so I think the coronavirus, man, what, what, what it did was it shook us up. It changed us. I mean, it rocked us because the Bible says the gates of hell will not prevail against the church. But it seemed like a little virus that kills only 99 or kills 1% of 1% of 1% can do that. Because what it did is it shut down churches. It made the church non-existent. Many churches will not even open their doors again after the coronavirus. Every two out of every five churches will not reopen. It seems like the Bible says the gates of hell won't do it, but it seems like a virus did. So what I'm saying is what we're doing may not be what the Bible says is church. And I think that what God did is he shook us up. He woke us up and he woke me up. But here's my biggest fear i was talking to somebody the other day i was just scrolling as you know looking at all these different churches and looking at what everybody's doing it's, it's what i do it, it, and it, sometimes it makes me happy sometimes it depresses me but what broke my heart was i saw 
then now that things are opening back up and, 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 and now people are saying, you know, uh, some people are saying, oh, we can wear a mask here. You can't wear a mask here. Look, I was going to say a side note. I don't want to be known as the church who doesn't wear masks. I don't care. I never cared from the beginning. I don't care if you wear a mask or not wear a mask. Some people are like, oh, we want to be the church that doesn't wear masks because we want to have people not wear no masks. It's garbage. I want to be known as a church who loves Jesus and loves each other. Mask or no mask. You want to wear a mask, wear a mask. You don't want to wear a mask, don't wear a mask. But regardless, I think people are propping themselves up with this whole issue, using this as a theme of how to love people. Guys, stop. But what scares me is that now that we're opening back up, now that we're opening back up, so many churches are running to get back to normal. To get back to normal. I don't want to get back to normal. I don't want it. I don't want to be normal. And look, this is, this is the train that this, this is where this train's going. If you don't want to be on this train, I hope that you stay and the Holy Spirit changes you. Just keep your mouth shut, okay? Um, don't be one of those squeaky wheels that whines the whole time. Um, but this is where the train's going. We are going to, as an elder group, we talked to the elders. I said, we are going to look at the Bible and we are going to start deciding what we do based off of what the Bible says. And anything that we're doing that is not scriptural, period, we're getting rid of. We're done. We're done playing church. Guys, I'm tired of worship where we sing worship songs and it's all about me. It's all about us. It's, it's, it's man-centered. Where if, I, if we, if in, the, in the average church, if they got rid of the lights and the band and it was just one dude on an organ or a, key, a keyboard or a piano or a guitar or not even, it's just if we got rid of everything, stripped it all to the basics, how many churches would be filled? I don't want to be a church of entertainment. I don't want to be a church that's eye-centered. I want to be a God-centered church. I don't want to be a church where we, what we did before, where you come and you learn and then you leave and you don't apply, but you don't love each other. I want every single one. Look around, y'all. Y'all are going to be spending eternity with each other. I want every single person. And I mean, I don't need to be friends with everybody here, but you need to be friends with somebody. Okay? If you come to church and, you, and you're not friends with anybody, you're probably the problem. I'm just saying. Uh, but we need to love one another. That's why, you know, we're going to start it. We started it this week, but we didn't. I, I went to the sign shop, and they said it's going to take a week. So we're going to have some things and descriptions. But right there on the side of the sound booth is going to be our Acts 2 project. And what that's going to be, and this is what God gave to me as I'm talking about, thinking about uh, um, biblical church. I want to get back to the Bible. I want to get back to the scripture Because we say, oh, we're a biblical church. But really, like, you know, really, like, what do we do that's biblical? Do we even know what biblical worship looks like, what the Bible says about worship? Do we know what biblical church, like what gathering looks like, what the Bible says about what we should do in gatherings? But what the, what the Bible says is Acts 2, it says they all got together, they gathered together, and they, they, they shared, they had all things in common, that they sold their possessions so that nobody was with, without need, so nobody was in need. 
So basically what we're going to do, I've heard that verse and I'm like, oh, I want to be that church, but I've never figured out how to do that. So this is the beginning. This may turn into something else, morph into something else, but this is the beginning of how do you take care of your needs. So on this board, if you have a need, you got to show humility. I have a need. I can't pay a light bill. I can't pay this. I have this. I need the washer. My washer went out this week. I put a need on. You see a need up there. Like, oh, I can meet that. I'm going to take care of somebody's washer. You take it off and you take care of a need. It's very simple that way. You put up a need, you put up, and we're also going to have a section of resources. I have extra TV. I have extra, nobody needs a TV. Burn it, okay? Smash it. Um, I have an extra washer. I have an extra, uh, you know, whatever, refrigerator. I have some resources. I'm going to put them on there. I have a prayer request. My heart is breaking in this. I need you to pray for me. Somebody's going to take it up and devote their time to praying for that person. I want to see the church be one. I want to see the church be united. Listen, one of the biggest, oh man, I, we're going to get to Ephesians eventually. Um, one of the mis, most misused verse in the Bible, when Jesus talks about the goats and the sheep, listen to this. He talks about the sheep and goat, goat's judgment. He says, you, you, when I was naked, you clothed me. When I was in prison, you visited me. You know, whatever you've done to the least of these, you've done unto me. A lot of, see, that's a verse that everybody knows, right? We all know that. It's a goat, sheep and goat judgment. But what we miss is Jesus is not talking about the world. Do you know that? This is good. Some of y'all, some of y'all are like, eh, I don't know, David, that's a little hair. Jesus is talking about the church, the believers. Now, it doesn't mean that we don't, we don't go out into the world and do and take care of people. But when he says, you go to the prisons and you visited me or you didn't visit me, he's not talking about somebody who didn't murder somebody. And I got to go visit a prisoner. Now, we should do that and witness and, and, you know, that's a whole different command. Go out into all the worlds and make disciples. That's the disciple command because that's their ultimate need. Not the physical, but the spiritual. But what Jesus is saying is that when the church was persecuted in prison, you don't leave them to rot by themselves because in that time, you don't get to eat unless people bring. They didn't take care of you. You didn't get a three-course meal every meal in prison what he's saying is that if somebody's in need somebody a widow in this church has lost her husband and you're sitting there raising your hand god i love you jesus i praise you and then meanwhile your neighbor right next to you your widow who's starving can't afford her bills and you do nothing about it but you're saying i love jesus john says how can you say that you love god who you cannot see but do not love your brother who you do see you see, that command that I, who you do to the least of these, what you do to the least of these is a command for the church. How are we going to love one another? How are we going to take care of one another? If you're in need, I should be able to sell something that is not a necessity in my life or give of my resources or, guys, we got to take care of each other. Listen, the world is going to, we may end up very back with the door shut down. Now, I will never do it by choice. I will never do it by them asking me, but it may come to the point where I have a cop break down through this door and you, they arrest me and take me off and that is fine. Visit me. But it may be where we have to go out and back into the homes and we need to be the church still. That the coronavirus, that the government cannot stop the church from being the church. 
So what we're going to do, this is the train that we're going down. This is where we're headed. So we're going to, it may be a slow engine running. We're going to be reading the Bible as elder groups, and, and we're going to be seeing things and looking at things and adjusting things, you know, just tweaking things. One of the things we, we did, we're going to do um, this, this morning, starting this morning, God gave it to us while we were in a prayer service. Every Sunday morning, if y'all want to be, we're going to make it a part of our church at 9.15. We're going to have a prayer service from 9.15 to 9.45, and then from 15 minutes of greeting, and we're going to start worship. It's not an add-on to our service. It's a part of our service. We're going to pray for 30 minutes. Because the Bible says when they gathered together, they devoted themselves to prayer. It's that simple. Okay. Ephesians. I don't feel like I need to preach. Um, well, let's kind of do a basic. But anyways, I believe that Ephesians is going to change your life. So let's real quick. Let's pray. I just want to pray. Um, Ephesians. Father, I pray. I pray for us this, 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 this series, this series, Lord, I pray that you speak through your, your book. Holy Spirit, I, I pray that every word in Ephesians you speak through and you change the hearts of man that you let us see. See what you have for us, see who we are, see what you called us to be. God, I pray for everybody in this room that we are matured in Christ that we are growing in Christ, that this, that this letter through the Holy Spirit, not about head knowledge, but transformation, bring our spirits to life and let us see you. Thank you, Jesus. Amen. Okay, so let's just real, real quick. Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ by the will of God to the saints who are in Ephesus and who are faithful in the Christ Jesus. Grace to you and peace from our God the Father and Lord Jesus Christ. Okay, so who's the author of Ephesians? Paul. This is Paul. Okay. Um, Paul is the author. Now, if you're new to church, you don't understand, you've not been um, to church uh, and, and you know who Paul is. Well, Paul, his original name was Saul, Saul of Tarsus, okay? Saul was a Pharisee. And if you know the Bible at all, you know that the Pharisees were the kind of painted as the enemies, right? They were the bad dudes, right? They were the hypocrites. They were the religious leaders who had all these rules and regulations they imposed on everybody else. They themselves would not abide by them. Like they would say, hey, you can't do anything on the Sabbath. Well, while meanwhile, the Pharisees are like tying ropes to their front door and putting a couch out in the middle of the alley and saying, okay, I could go that far past my house because technically my couch is my house, you know, and they were just all kinds of loopholes that the Pharisees were good at, the religious leaders were good at, but Paul was a Pharisee, a Pharisee amongst Pharisees, right? He was killing and persecuting the church, but the Bible says that Saul, while he was on the road to Damascus, Jesus interrupted him, Jesus stopped him, and he says, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And, he, and Saul's blind, and he's like, who am I talking to, Lord? And the Lord's like, it's Jesus. And you know at that point, Saul's like, uh, okay, I'm dead. Like, I just, I've been killing you. My bad. Okay, my B. I thought I was doing the Lord's work, right? And so Saul is blinded, and he goes to Damascus, and, and Ananias prays over him, and he's healed. And from that point on, Saul is converted to Paul. Now, we don't know much about, like, far as Saul's appearance and Paul's appearance. We do know that in Acts, Paul, uh, the Acts of Paul written in the second century, this is not biblical, but it says that he was very short, bald-headed, Big old eyebrows that look like a caterpillar on his face is what it says. Um, not a very attractive dude. Very small dude. So when we think of Paul, a lot of times I have this idea of this manly, huge rock, you know, just 
Because when Paul walked into a room, he got respect. When Paul walked in a room, people terrified. People, you know, actually flocked to Paul. And I love the fact that Paul was not that. Because in our culture, if you look a certain way, you actually gain reputation, you get respect, or, you know, if you look a certain way, it helps you and aids you in your ministry, right? There's so many churches that you can't get on the stage unless you're pretty, you know, the pretty people and the skinny jeans. And I'm like... Uh, you know, how is that attracting Jesus? Because the Bible says Jesus wasn't even attractive, right? The Bible says that Jesus was, there's nothing special about Jesus that men were attracted to him. So all these pictures of Jesus, the blonde hair, blue eyes, even the pretty Jesus, like in the, in the passion of the Christ, he was a good looking dude. I'm like, that's not Jesus. Jesus was normal, average. And, and, and this is not a huge, important part, but it's true. Like, God uses the foolish things of the world to confound the wise. He uses the things that some of us in this room, not talking about just the physical aspects of us, but just the, the, the uh, mental. Maybe us are not the smartest, you know, you know, we're missing a couple of fries in the Happy Meal. Or maybe we're not the, you know, we're not the most eloquent in speaking. Maybe we're not the most respected. But God, guys, it's not about you. And that's what we're going to learn about in Ephesians. It has nothing to do with you. It has everything to do with our great God. That God uses a man like Paul who had nothing in physical stature but he changed the world he became the apostle to the gentiles that's what paul says god called me to be an apostle an apostle the word apostle is ambassador no no no. okay now stay with me i might i might make a few of you offended and mad this morning if not have not or done it already okay now but stay with me it's my gift i offend in love okay sometimes I offend out of my own stupidity and I'm sorry for that. I think I did that last week and I'm sorry. Uh, but, oh, by the way, okay, last week, I just got to say this because I, I feel like I, I don't want my, my name to be seen in this light. Last week, I said hippo hooves, like ankles, referring to my wife during her pregnancy. A lot of people thought I said hippo, okay, I did not, I had like five people after church say, I can't believe you said that. I'm like, I didn't. I would never say that. <laughs> Number one, my wife would kill me. Number two, the elders would fire me, okay? Um, so I didn't say that. Hippo hooves. It's my little intimate, you know, we watched Madagascar while she was pregnant and the big, you know, hippo was like, you plumpy. And I, so I would, I would sing, go around the house singing, you plumpy. And it was endearing, okay? Um, but anyways, let's, let's, let's offend you in another way. The Bible, the Bible talks about apostles. Apostle, Paul said, I'm the apostle of the Gentiles. God's called me to that. The word, the closest we have in the English is ambassador. Now, in the Greek, in the, there was a, something called an apostolic ship. That would, it was basically a cargo ship that went from one place to the other in the Mediterranean. And so it was carrying the goods from one place to the other. So an apostle is like an apostolic ship in that it brings the good news from one place to the other. They're an ambassador. Now, in the sense of ambassador, I would say this. There are still apostles today in that sense of ambassador because we're all called to be ambassadors. But in the sense of what we think of an apostle with the apostolic authority of Scripture, that was the responsibility of the apostles that we have in Scripture. Now, stay with me. Stay with me. Some of y'all... I see it. The Bible is very clear when it comes to the apostles and their calling 
and what they, what they have to be, their, their, their um, credentials to be called. We see this throughout scripture. Now, when the apostles were called, first of all, they had to be an eyewitness of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. They had to be an eyewitness of Christ. That's why Paul became an eyewitness, but it was important for Paul to be an eyewitness at the Damascus to see that so he, he gained the apostolic authority. The apostles walked in miracle signs and wonders, and it wasn't like, okay, they had the gift of healing or a gift of, 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 of you know, because those gifts still exist. I believe that the, I'm not a, a cessationist. I'm not believe, I believe uh, that the Holy Spirit is still alive and working and gifts are still applicable, but I believe the apostolic gift in that Paul would walk and they say, hey, let me get Paul's handkerchief, okay? Let me, and let me stand in the shadow. Let me see, it was the sign. Why was that important for an apostle at this time? Because every word they spoke was from the Holy Spirit. When Paul wrote down, it wasn't Paul's writing. When Paul wrote Corinthians, when Paul wrote Ephesians, it was God speaking. How do we know that? Because they were affirmed. Just as Jesus was affirmed through his signs and wonders, it says his message was affirmed by miracles. Paul, Peter, James, John, the apostles who wrote down the canon, they were affirmed by signs and wonders. Now, now once again, if you disagree with me, that is fine. This is not a this is not a foundational issue. This is not a salvation issue. This is a kitchen table theology. And as long as there, as long as you do not believe that an apostle today has the apostolic authority of the word of God, meaning they can speak and as they speak, it is word. That makes sense? Because everything that somebody says today, whether you call themselves an apostle or not, has to be, cannot be taken as the word of God, has to go through the filter of the word of God written by the apostles. See what I'm saying? Yeah. So, so like if, if you, and, and, and you could test this every day. Like how do we know that Muhammad was not a prophet or apostle? Muhammad, who wrote the Quran. I mean, Muhammad, a man of God, right? Holy man. Holy man. Went into a cave and, 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 um, Gabriel came to Muhammad and said, Gabriel, uh, Muhammad, write this down. And Muhammad's like, I'm illiterate. I can't do it. Gabriel beat him up. He wrote down the Quran. How do we know the Quran is not a holy book? Because it disagrees with the apostles' teachings. Ephesians chapter 2 says the church is, the foundation of the church is the prophet and the apostles. So if the, the foundation of the church is the prophet and the, the apostles, how are we continuing to lay foundation on foundation on foundation on foundation? What the apostles did was they laid the foundation and then they, they sent up elders and the elders now have taken over and been overseers over the church. How do we know that Brigham Young, Charles Russell's, Joseph Smith, Mormon Church, Jehovah's Witness, how do we know they weren't apostles? Because we compare them to the apostles' teaching. Okay, so now listen, if you disagree with me, just as always, I welcome it. I love it. I love debating. I love talking. But do not come to me with experience. Do not come to me with, with opinion. Do not come to me with feelings. Come to me with the word. And if you want to come to me with opinions and feelings and experience, we'll send you, as we always do, to our complaint department. It's in those doors back there. There's a little bowl. Just push it there. There's a button. Go where it needs to be. Okay? Um, but as far as the word of God, so if you come to me, like I said, once again, not a foundational issue, kitchen table theology, but Paul was an apostle called by the will of God. And he's talking to, notice who he's talking to. He says, I'm talking to, he describes it in four ways, the saints who are in Ephesus, who are faithful, and they are in Christ Jesus. So let's start with that. You are the saints. Did you know that you're a saint? 
Okay. Now I'm not talking about like, okay, you have somehow, you have this weird saint status and you know, there's the real saints like, like St. Mother Teresa or St. Paul or St. Peter. And then you're like, yeah, you're kind of, I'm a saint. I get it, but I'm not like St. Paul. No, you're a saint. A saint is a saint is a saint is a saint. You know, this idea of sainting somebody. I mean, if you want, I could get a sword and saint you if that makes you feel better, but you're a saint just as much as Peter was, as Paul is, you are a saint. It's unbiblical to elevate some people as, as higher saints than other saints. It's not a biblical truth. And I know that it's hard for some of y'all to believe, especially women like you, like, I, man, my husband's a Christian. He's a saint. I know it's hard to believe. Not for my wife. She, she gets it. But, um, <laughs> but most, the sainthood of all believers that we, if you are in Christ, you are a saint. And doesn't mean, now listen, it doesn't mean that you are saint always acting saintly. Okay? Doesn't mean you're always acting saintly, but you are a saint. It's what we know as positional theology. Okay? Positional truth. That your position in Christ is saint, sanctified, set apart. Your condition, sometimes rocky. Now listen, this is so true that we've got to understand this. If you are in Jesus Christ, it has nothing to do with you acting like a saint. Your sainthood has nothing to do with you acting like a saint. You're sanctified. Your position in Christ has nothing to do with how you act. Listen, now, this is where we get all messed up and been out of shape. And for the whole book of Hebrews, I feel like I'm going to have to say this, but I'm going to say it once and then I'm done. I am not talking about this false theology that when you are saved, you said a prayer, now you can live however you want, and now Jesus, it doesn't matter how you live because you're a saint. That's not the Bible. Listen, if you walk out of this room and you say, David said I'm a saint, and therefore I get to live however I want because Jesus will forgive me at the end of it. If that is your mentality, listen, I say this with 100% certainty, you are not saved. You're not saved. And I could, I could point to scripture after scripture after scripture after scripture after scripture. We want to talk about being in the fruit. We want to talk about loving Christ and obedience. We want to talk about the nature of a man changed. We want all throughout scripture, if your heart is still, I want my sin and Jesus is going to forgive me, then that is, not a, that is not a renewed heart. It's not a restored heart. It's not a changed heart. You are still walking dead in your trespasses. Okay, so when we talk about this being, but this is such an important truth that believers have to understand because so many times we as believers get caught up in this mentality because I'm not saintly all the time because I fall and I stumble. As Peter says, we all fall short of the glory of God. And Peter says, if you say you have no sin, you, then you are make yourself and God a liar. So you confess your sin. He is faithful and just to forgive you of your trespasses. But here's the thing. If you Christians need to understand this, your sanctity, your salvation your sainthood is not because you're good you will never grow in your maturity you will never be a powerhouse for the kingdom of God in victory if you think it has anything to do with you you see victory and power and authority come from people who understand I can't do anything right it has to be Jesus has to be Jesus. So he says, you are a saint, but then you are also in Ephesus. Okay, so a saint, positionally, spiritually, you are in heaven, heavenly saint, but 
on this world, you have a position, you have a geographical position that God has you in. So a saint in Ephesus, we are saints in Waynesville, saints in Hazelwood, saints in Clyde, saints in, well, no, there's no saints in Canton, but saints, <laughs> you get it, right? Like we're saints in a geographical position, but we are, so our spirit, our spiritual uh, position is the heavenly position, but our earthly position is a geographical position. God has saints in Hazelwood. God has saints in Waynesville. But so Ephesus, now Ephesus was, was a wicked place. They all worshiped the goddess Diana. Now, if you know your history, the goddess Diana, just, they, they worshiped the goddess Diana. The temple of the goddess Diana was a storehouse for all the riches of this area. And so this is, what, this is where the Ephesians lived. And so this storehouse of all the riches, which is kind of interesting how Paul kind of talks about the riches we have in Christ and all this treasure we have in Christ and is kind of comparing to Ephesus who you may know about storing the, the riches. So they were, in Ephesians, they were in Ephesus. Paul went to Ephesus on the second missionary journey. He converted many Christians and he stayed there three years, the longest time Paul has ever stayed in one place. Three years and so they were strong. They were strong. They loved Jesus. They were in Christ. But, okay, I'm going to say this. When we read about, somebody said that, who was it? Somebody prayed this morning and, and mentioned the Ephesians and Revelation. Who was it? Okay, yeah. Um, Ephesians. In Revelation, when in Revelation 3, Jesus is talking to the Ephesian church. And what's interesting is that Paul is talking to, and he's saying, okay, you guys are saints, you are sanctified, you're doing great things. Paul stayed with them three years. But then in Revelation 3, fast forward a few more years, after Paul's long gone, he's dead, the church has been around for a little bit, Jesus looks at the Ephesian church and he says, y'all are doing amazing things, you're doing great things. He says, but I have this one thing against you, and this one thing will remove you from the, I will remove your lampstand, I will take you out as a church. The one thing that you are missing is that you have forgotten the love that you have for me at the beginning. You've forgotten your first love. You, you forgot about me. And I find it so interesting because Paul, throughout the, the whole book, actually in Paul's letters in general, 163 times, I think I read, 163 times, Paul says it's about being in, Paul's favorite quote, favorite, favorite uh, phrase is in Christ. In Christ, in Christ, be in Christ. Even in this section, this section, chapter one alone, this is what he says. In verse four, he says, in him. Verse six, in the beloved. Verse seven, in Christ. Verse, uh, verse 10, or verse uh, 10, in Christ. Verse 11, in whom? Verse 12, in Christ. Verse 13, in whom? Verse 20, in Christ. In one chapter, in Christ, in Christ, in whom, in whom, in Christ, in Christ. And then you get to Revelation, and they're saying, you forgot. You forgot your love for me. What Paul is trying to break down, what Paul is trying to show is that as we are going to move forward, and this is the foundation of everything we're about to do in Ephesians, in this, this sermon series, if you're going to do anything, if you're going to walk in love, it's going to have to be in Jesus, in Christ. Everything is rooted in him. And it's not just talking about being in him in that I'm saved in Christ. No, it's I'm perfected in Christ. I walk in Christ. I breathe Christ. I'm in the environment of the heavenlies. And we're going to talk about that throughout this section. But he says grace and peace 
Okay, I'm going to try to rush through because I've been going on tangents, y'all. I'm sorry. Um, grace and peace. Are y'all, y'all okay? We good? Those who aren't good, like, man, you guys, don't say we're good. We're not good. Um, grace and peace. Shalom and keros. Keros is Greek. Shalom is Hebrew. Keros, grace, Hebrew, peace, shalom. Grace, Greek, and Hebrew. It's interesting because Paul's letter to the Ephesians is all about uniting us as believers, Greek and Hebrew, under the Godhead, under the, the headship of Jesus Christ. So both Greek and Hebrews, grace and peace be to you. But then he says this. He says, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ who has blessed us in every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. I want you to notice something. What does it say? He has blessed us. What tense is that? Past tense. That's huge. He has blessed us, which means he's not blessing us. He's not going to bless you. One day, hopefully, bless you. He has blessed you. This is so important. Everything is rides on this knowledge, on this truth, that it's not I do, I do, I do, and then God brings. No, it's he has. He says, we're going to see this in Ephesians constantly, that we are sons and daughters adopted. Why is that adoption so important? It means that you don't have to wait to maturity to gain what your blessing is. That you are immediately adopted, grafted into as sons and daughters, and you receive the blessings that are already yours. One of the big, my favorite Old Testament um, uh, men in the, in, the, in the Old Testament, one of my favorite, I've got so many favorites, Elijah, Joshua. Joshua is my favorite, though, David. But Joshua, he's not my favorite. Anyways, in Joshua, God tells Joshua, hey, I want you to go into the promised land. And here's the thing. He says, this is your land. But there's going to have to be, there's battles, there's pagans, there's idolatry, there's this, there's this. You see, this is your, but he says, this is your land. Now will be your land. Now you got to fight for, he says, it is your land. So it doesn't mean you're not going to have to fight. It doesn't mean that there's not going to be hardship. It doesn't mean that there's not going to be war. It just means, trust me, as you're going through life, this is yours to have. And God's telling us as Christians, all spiritual blessings are already yours. And look at our lives. Look at our lives. Do we believe that? Do we believe all spiritual? Now, this is talking about spiritual blessings. This is not talking about earthly blessings. A lot of times, pastors will get this all confused and say, well, God, we have all blessings. And when we say blessings, we mean we have all the riches of the world. Now, God wants you to be wealthy and have 10 cars and a jet and a boat and a, and a horse and, and everything, a mansion, right? Like, that's the blessings of the world. Guys, that is not the blessings the Bible's talking about. Now, God's going to take care of our earthly, but God promises he will take care of your physical needs with a caveat. He says, if you do what first, I'll take care of you. Seek me first. Seek the kingdom first, I'll take care. So there's a caveat, but God, <laughs> we missed those parts. God says he's going to take care of your physical needs. That's, that's fine. But here we're talking about spiritual blessings. It goes back to your goal versus God's goal, Right? We talked about this a couple of weeks ago. Your goal versus God. What's God's goal with you? Righteousness, sanctification, 
He wants you to be more like Christ. He, he's trying to make, so he's going to send you through persecutions and trials. Blessed are the, rejoice for those who go through persecutions because persecutions and trials produce steadfastness, right? That's God's goal with you is for righteousness. What's your goal for you? Comfort, popularity, love, acceptance, power, money. And so unless we align ourselves with the will of God, me and God are going to have some issues because I want money, I want wealth, I want riches, I want comfort. And God's like, I want to make you righteous. And by making you righteous, I'm going to send you through some trials. Well, I don't want trials because I want wealth. I want comfort. I'm going to have to send you through pain. I'm going to have to send you through sickness. I'm going to have to send you through love. And I'm not saying that God has caused all these things, but God says, the Bible is very clear that God will discipline those whom he loves because his goal is righteousness, not comfort of this world. Our we in line. But he says, all spiritual blessings are yours. Imagine this. Imagine if I gave you $1 million check, but I put it in your house somewhere. Put it in your closet. Didn't tell you about it. But all your life, you had a $1 million that is yours. At the end of your life, I say, hey, I don't know why, but I gave you a million dollars back then, 40 years ago. Why didn't you use it? I mean, how mad would you be? Like, I could have, I had bills, I, had, I was in debt, I had to pay this, my mortgage, I could have done everything. I could have gone and traveled. I could have sold the world. I wish I would have known what I had. And guys, this is how we're going to end. I believe that so many Christians, we are walking as if we are spiritually bankrupt because we don't know what we have in Christ. And what we're going to learn through this series of Ephesians is how rich you are, how powerful you are. And hopefully we will mature and grow in this power, in this authority, and understanding what we have. Uh, we're going to see, this is kind of a quick breakdown. We're going to see from the Father, he has chosen us. That's one. You're going to see that he has adopted us. He has accepted us. We're going to see that he has redeemed us, that he has forgiven us, the Son. He has made us known, to, uh, he's made known to us his will, the Holy Spirit. He has sealed us. He has indwelt us. In Christ. In Christ. When we talk about being in Christ, what does that mean to be in Christ? What does it mean to, to dwell in Christ? I want you to think about it this way. If I have a, I try to, I try to use this illustration with the men, but it kind of got weird. But I'm going to try it again. If I have a fish, okay. The fish's natural environment is where? Water, right? It's in water. Make sense? Cool. If I take the fish out of the water and put it on land, it is outside of its environment. It will die. Okay? It can't breathe. It's toxic. It cannot breathe air. It needs its environment. Now, if I take a fish and I turn it into a squirrel, okay, I got some powers, now my fish is a squirrel. Now it thrives in this new environment. It is in air. It is in oxygen. It is in or on land. But if I put it and took it back to its old environment and let it try to breathe and stuck the squirrel under the water, yeah, it won't bite me. It's going to do everything it can to get out of the water, right? It's going gonna, it's gonna to squirm because eventually it's going to die. It's toxic for it. It cannot live under its old environment. 
The Bible says that you were dead, you were living as zombies in this world, breathing the air of this, this world, the culture, the, the, the toxicity of all that the enemy is putting on us, the, 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 the lust, the pride, the arrogance. You were breathing that and you were thriving, you were living, you were dead. Makes sense. Um, you, were, you were zombies, okay? You were dead but this is the air that you breathe. You didn't know any better. You're blind, right? The Bible says you're blind to the gospel. You, you were just breathing the, the toxic environment of this world. That's the air that you breathed. But then God took you and he made you a squirrel. Okay? And God says, I'm giving you new environment. I'm giving you a new place to dwell. See, now you have to breathe. Now we breathe the heavenlies. Now we breathe the eternal spiritual truths. Now we breathe the richness of the word of God. Now we breathe Christ. Now we are in Christ and we're in his riches and we're in his truth and we're dwelling in that environment. And every time you go and try to breathe your old, old environment, what happens? It's toxic. You can't do it. It's not that, oh, I can do it and it's just bad for me. No, it's you can't. It's like breathing in like, like paint fumes. Like, I can't do this for long. Some of y'all like to do it as a hobby. I don't know. Like breathe in paint fumes. I can't. It's toxic for me. It's not my environment anymore. I need oxygen. You see, as Christians, what does it mean to be in Christ? It means every step. As you're walking, you wake up in the morning, you're praying. You get back on your feet. You get on your knees. You pray, the first thing you pray, Jesus, guide me. Jesus, lead me. I need you. As you're making, as you're brushing your teeth, you're just thinking about Jesus, maybe singing some hymns, humming some hymns, thinking about the Holy Spirit, thinking about what God's doing in your life. And as you're praying, going into work, God, give me somebody, direct my path. Give me somebody to, to talk to and pray over in my workplace. As I'm going to the gym, God, please direct my path. As I'm driving, God, please, if I need to stop, if you need to interrupt me on the way from A to B, if you need to interrupt somebody, I'll stop me. And see, as we're operating in, in, in this new environment, we're operating in kingdom, right? So the kingdom is, I'm, I'm looking, where, where's God moving today? Where's God moving today? So it's so easy to want to go back into to the old environment and start breathing that toxic air. And eventually we become comatose. We become crippled. We come to like, why, why do I feel like garbage? Why do I feel like crap? Why do I feel like this? Well, it's because you've been trying to breathe in your old air. You've been trying to live in your own environment. That's not you anymore. You're not a pig anymore. The Bible says you went from pig to new creation. You went from a dog that used to eat his own vomit. Dogs are disgusting. They eat their, my dog helps me because it, it cleans the kitty litter. That's what dogs do. That's what, they're man's best friend. It tells us something about us. I, uh, but the Bible says it's not you anymore. You have a new environment. You are in Christ. Christ has become your federal head. Christ is your Lord. You're operating in him. So as we walk out these doors, let's try that. God, if, how many of us are going out to eat after this? Huh, okay. Bunch of fasters on Sunday. Okay. Um, that's good. Good. Fast. As you leave, as you go out to restaurants, as you go to the grocery stores to buy your, your meals, or as you're sitting at home eating nothing, um, on your way home, pray, God, let me walk in the kingdom. This is my environment now. See, we are in, we are members, ambassadors from the heavenlies in Ephesians or Ephesus. We are members, saints from the heavenlies, ambassadors from the heavenlies in Waynesville. We have a new environment, new air, new oxygen. Let's breathe that, walk in that, 
live in that. We have a new federal head. You are dying. Listen, this is how we're ending. This all starts with one thing. See, to be in Christ, you have to actually confess and you have to enter into Christ's grace. You cannot, it's not just this weird, oh, I, you know, I came to church one Sunday and, I, and, the, and the, the pastor said that I could be in Christ by doing this, this, this. Look, this is not a works righteousness. It's not, I'm gonna give you 10 steps how to be a better person. This is not, I'm gonna give you uh, a 10 steps of how to, to be a better you, right? Like we, ha- we love those kind of sermons. Give me, I just wanna be a better husband. Give me what I need to do. Or I wanna be a better person. I'm living in hell. My life is broken. I need how to be a better me. That's not any of this. The Bible says that you are, are dead you can do nothing apart from Christ dead men do not grab dead men do not save themselves it is the power of the Holy Spirit who changes your life you right now for those who are not in Christ let me just say this you're under your own federal head and that is Adam we were all born under federal head Adam when we talk about salvation, it's because when you were, you were born, you were born under the curse of man through Adam, the sin, the pride. And you say, well, I didn't do anything to deserve the curse. Yes, you did. And I could probably sit there and look at your life for 10 minutes and tell you what you're doing that is breaking the will of God. We all have been there. I'm not going to say we all are there because the Bible says that we are new. We once were that, but now we're saints. But right now you're under a federal head, Adam. And our God is a holy God and our God is a just judge. And he says, I have to punish the guilty. But I'm gonna lay all the guilt, all the shame on a new federal head, the one that is born outside of man. You see, Jesus, the reason why he had to be born of a virgin, why that theology is so important. We can't just say, oh, well, that's cool that Jesus was born of a virgin. The reason it's important because if Jesus was born of man, Jesus would have been born under the federal head of Adam. Jesus had to be born outside of man, conceived of the Holy Spirit, a new federal head, not born of the curse, to take the curse for you. If you want all the riches, if you want all the authority and the victory, it has to start with operating under the grace of Jesus Christ and the faith in him as your savior and as your federal head. And so my prayer, my prayer is not that you make some emotional decision or that you made it, make an intellectual decision. Once again, I could intellectually convince you of what, how the Bible is true. It means nothing. It's gonna have to be the power of the Holy Spirit changing your life. Power of the Holy Spirit drawing you and making you a new person. I could sit there and tell my dog the gospel all day long. He may understand a little bit of it. He's still going to be, at the end of the day, a dog. I could give a pig a bath all day long. I could baptize every one of you. Well, we could do it old Methodist way. I'll sprinkle every one of you. But in the end, unless the Holy Spirit is changing your nature, I'm just giving a pig a bath. That's what Peter says. So let's pray. If you're here this morning and you're like, man, I I have been a Christian. I've been in the church all my life and I've never, I've always wanted my sin. I've been one of those Christians like I I can continue to walk how I want and and, and Jesus is going to forgive me. That's, if that's you, I pray for a renewed heart that you truly come to life. If you've never heard the gospel and this is you this morning and you're like, this is, I'm convicted of my sin and the Holy Spirit is working in your life, I pray that this is the day that you put your full trust in Jesus. If you're here this morning and you have been in Jesus and you are a saint 
sanctified, set apart for the riches. I pray this morning that we start to see what we have in Jesus. Let us be a biblical church. Let us be a biblical church, not just here. Let us go out. Mm, I want to preach another. Okay. Okay, no. Okay. Yes. One of the biggest reasons we can't go back to online garbage, and we're doing it. We're doing it because I, but there are some people that just are literally um, cannot leave the house, and, and it's a great missional tool, but it's not the church. Listen, the reason why we're not going to ever do that again is because in order to operate in the fullness of what Christ has called us to operate, we have to be together. And we have to walk in our giftings and our victory and our, and, our, and our riches together. You can call that online, sitting at your home in your underwear, watching church. You know, you're, it's so weird. I'm, 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 a, I'm watching church. I don't know what you're doing. Like, a, I, I, go, I go to church at my house. You know, like, a, I'm a, I watch church at my house. I'm a part of the church at my house. I, no. no you're, you're watching something on TV. The church is, is not something you can watch. The church is not something that you do. The church is something that we are. And so if we are not together, then we are the body. You see, the Bible says the body. I'm not individually the church. I'm not individually the body. I'm like one piece, a small piece, like a baby toe. Hey, but if you stub your baby toe, it hurts, okay? Um, we need each other. But we need each other to operate in maturity, to grow in maturity, to operate. So I want to just send us forth in that, that we operate in Christ, but we start to look at each other. If, if you weren't planning on it today, invite somebody to have lunch with you. Take somebody out. Get to know somebody. Get somebody's number. It's time to get in each other's lives. I'm done. Done playing church. Let's walk in our victory. Let's walk in our blessings. Walk in our riches. Love each other. Let's, let's be the church.